morning. I don't say it enough, but I'm so thankful for uh, the people up here that lead us on Sunday mornings and worship through music. Um, they get us on the right path and ready to listen, worship through the word and worship through giving and worship through the other acts uh, that we give, that we have. I'm, in this neighborhood and in this community, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. And when the Grim Reaper came this morning, I saw some of you fidgeting. So maybe you need to make sure you don't have anything to fear. Um, so glad it was just a false alarm that everyone in here is good. We're going to be continuing in Romans. We're closing, we're closing this book very soon and this letter this treatise very soon and I am I'm sad <laughs> I'm sad um, and I've told you this before um, I'll say it again just because I'm sad and I'm thinking about it uh, every time we've ended a letter or a book or something like that I thought there could not be anything as good as what we've just gone through and undoubtedly, the next thing we go to, the Lord gives me the same feelings on, and I hope He does that for you as we progress. Um, part of the work of the Spirit of God is to make His Word fresh and beautiful on the hearts of His children. And so when we open His Word with the right spirit and the right attitude and with a fervent heart, he continues to renew our feelings toward His Word. Now His Word is good regardless of whether we're liking it or not, whether we agree with it or not, His Word is good, but part of the work of the Spirit in our lives is He renews our hearts toward His Word. And so we can read Romans, which is some of the most fruitful stuff in the Bible, and we can read Genesis, and we can still uh, be changed in the same impactful in great way. So I look forward to what the Lord is going to do with us moving forward as I'm a little sad that we're closing this letter very soon. We're going to be in Romans 15. As Tony read for you, we're going to be in 15 verses 14 through 16 today. And this week and next week, we're going to talk about the boldness of the church united. I believe Romans is developing a spiritual and religious ethic for Christians. The letter was to develop Christians in the Christian life in a spiritual way. And then Paul sort of sums up his reasoning over the last few weeks. We've seen that. He sums up his reasoning by, by letting us know the reason he's doing this is to build not just a good ethic, not just to build a spiritual person, but to build a spiritual people. And what we found, what we've been given over the last few weeks is the church united, the church united, what we look like together and how we accomplish things together. So today we're going to talk about the boldness of the church united, what is naturally produced um, from growing in Christ. Uh, I think that's boldness. We've been spending most of the time build, talking about building and edifying. As a matter of fact, I would say that most of the time in uh, church in church gathering is spent on building and edifying. Often we don't uh, talk about boldness. What we need to understand is that this building and edifying not only produces strong individuals spiritually, but also strong people who are above reproach, who are a glory inducing offering to the Lord. But beyond that, spiritual growth produces confidence. It produces assurity. It produces boldness. Not just assurity of salvation, not just confidence in our salvation, but assurity and boldness in what we proclaim, in how we share the gospel. You can find boldness in other areas with other people. But for Christians, a great thing should arise 
for them. For a Christian, it should be a nose up, head up, confidence and boldness that seeps out of the work of Jesus Christ. What if I told you that along with hope and peace and joy and unity, one of the sure characteristics of a growing and godly and spiritually strong church was boldness and confidence. We often turn our nose up at boldness and confidence, especially if you don't find yourself being one who is bold. We say, well, that person, that's kind of arrogant. That seems sort of haughty, and sometimes it is. That person should be taken down a notch. But I would assert to you that confidence and boldness are both objective proofs of spiritual maturity that are developed. The reason a lot of people don't have it is because confidence and boldness are developed sort of towards the end of the spiritual maturing process. Not the end of our life. The end of the spiritually maturing process. It's something that once you've settled a lot of other things in your life is produced by living in those truths for a long time. Often we misunderstand boldness and confidence as arrogance. We belittle people who make confident assertions or we cringe when Christians are so sure about themselves. When someone, and I'm not making a case for me, you know, like saying whatever I want to say, by the way, today. (laughs) There's a larger point that's trying to be made here. It bothers me so much when pastors say, uh, I'm just not a theologian. I'm just not. Well, then you're not a pastor. Step down. Step. Listen, if I hear one of you say, I'm not a theologian. You know what I'll say? Well, you might not be a Christian. Go somewhere else. Because the goal of every pastor and every Christian should be to know so much about the Lord in a spiritually proper manner, in a humble, still humble manner, still a contrite manner, that there is this boldness and this confidence that can only come from God. But instead, we misunderstand boldness. We reward, we reward um, quietness. We reward those who don't speak. And we call that humility. We call that discernment. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it's humility and sometimes it's discernment. Uh, the Bible, after all, calls us to be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? But we reward those things. When I was in high school, I was not the model student. I was a decent kid, but I don't, this is going to shock you, people change a lot. I talked a lot in class. I know that you can't believe this. People change, and I've made such a change in my life about that. Um, That's called sarcasm, just in case you didn't catch that. Okay, good, good. Well, some people come up to me after I make a joke like that, and they're like, uh, you, this is not true of you right now? Uh, so anyway, um, but, I, but mostly I was not just like hyper rebellious. And I would hear teachers and administrators say, so-and-so is the model student. They are... That's who people should be like. They're a good kid. And like that person was snorting coke in the bathroom. That's that's a true story. That whole thing is a true story. Okay? Like oftentimes because it's easier to just look at a person who doesn't say much and say, this is humility. This is how we should model our lives. It's easier to do that. We just do that. Whereas it's harder to look, uh, and this is a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, a little bit, maybe a soapbox. It's harder to look at someone who is louder and more confident and speaks more truth and say, maybe this is humility. Maybe this is boldness and confidence in the Lord. Boldness and confidence are, friends, they're not something to be 
looked down on if they are coming in a spiritual manner. They are desirable goals. And they are on the life cycle of every believer in some way. If you want to deny that and you want to say, I'm too introverted for this or I'm too introverted for that, I would like to point to you as, uh, as evidence uh, one in this case, Anna Holbrook. And I'm not going to sit here and brag on my wife or whatever overall because I probably evidently can't handle it. But my wife is somebody who is hyper introverted. And if you know her now, you don't know her historically. Because she is the most truth speakingest most of the time person into people's lives now. Like, I would have never thought in a million years when I married my wife that she would be the person that people would go to if they wanted truth spoken into their lives. And I will say it is because boldness and confidence in your own way, in your own personality, is a part of the Christian maturing life cycle. The goal, friends, of the gospel After saving people, the goal of the gospel is to create confident preachers of the gospel. Confident members who are also preachers of the gospel. Why? Because of Jesus. That's it. It's not because we've all of a sudden found ourselves and discovered that some innate characteristic about us that we didn't know about. No, it's because of Jesus. It's because the same Jesus that gives me the confidence to get up here and preach to you is the same Jesus that gives the introvert the confidence to speak truth into someone else's life. It's because when we focus and center our lives around the things of God, we don't have to doubt. Because we didn't make them up. We didn't formulate them. They are not our own strategies and plans. They are the endless truths, the tested truths of the God of the universe. Christian, I I want you to know we shouldn't scoff at spiritual boldness. We should aspire to it. Aspire to it. If we see someone that's more bold than us and we're whatever feelings come up, instead of scoffing at that, we should ask them how they got there. If you're an introvert and you want to know, uh, and she's going to kill me for saying this. You want to know how to be more bold as an introvert? Maybe you should find people like Anna. Maybe not Anna, because she might get mad at me for asking you to do this. But maybe people like Anna who have made such an, a change. And I know it's kind of whatever for a pastor to talk about his wife. But look, she's a Christian. She's a part of this group. Like if you did something positive, I would talk about you in a positive manner. Find somebody like Anna who has objectively, if you've known her long enough, has made a change that has been helpful to countless people and see what she's done. Ask her what she's done. My goal for us, my goal for us, for me, for you, is to create theologians. That is, studiers of God. From the youngest to the oldest. That when you leave here, or when you get at death's door, That you have grown so much in Christ that you have been able to face anything in life because of Christ. Preeminently and firstly because of Christ and what He has done for us and the strength and the boldness He has given us. Now some of you are going to say that I do long introductions now. I've cut my introductions down. That just happened to be a long one today. Pray with me so that we can get to the heart of the sermon. God, we love you so much. And we can stand here confidently and in the face of many trials because you have given us boldness. And Lord, you will continually do that. Because when we stand the test 
of time, when we stand the trials, when we stand dissension and division, when we stand the, the attacks of the world, we stand behind you and not beside you and not in front of you. You lead the charge. You're David conquering Goliath, not us. Help us to trust in that. Help us to have confident assurance in that. And we're going to give you all the glory at the end of our lives, through our lives and at the end of our lives, because we know it's only because of you. It's in that precious name we pray. Amen. I want to discuss two proven results of walking in faith of a unified and growing church. We see finally how this unity and this growth fleshes itself out and it fleshes itself out in boldness. And there's two ways we're going to talk about today. And first is the boldness of the body. The boldness of the body. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Paul has not visited Rome to this point. As a matter of fact, he says, I hope to see you. Okay, so this is someone else's pastor saying the things that we've read in Rome to a church that is not his own. Boldness, right? And we'll get into that part. We'll get into Paul's part of the boldness in a minute. That's boldness. He was likely writing this from Corinth. He was not likely writing this in Rome. And he speaks all... Listen, if I said half the things that were said in Romans to you today or over the course of a month and I acted like they were my own words and you had never read Romans, you would all leave. And I'm your pastor. But Paul, he's part of this Christian body. He is developed in him because of Christ. And he asserts that here, boldness to proclaim the necessary things to each other so that we can all grow together as one unit to the glory of the Lord for the sake of the world. He has gotten an accurate description, though, of the churches at Rome. And what's going on at the churches of Rome. And he's pleased with what he hears. He says, I'm satisfied with what I hear about you. Now this looks back again with what he said at the first part of this letter in Romans 1.8. That their faith was going all over the world. That their faith is being proclaimed to the world. He states that he is satisfied with the report that he hears. And then he says, um, why? He mentions three things, three characteristics of their boldness that gives him satisfaction in their work. And I want to give you those three today. He says, I'm satisfied, Romans 1.8, because you're known to the world. What are you known by? You're known by goodness. You're known by goodness. He says that you yourselves are full of goodness. They are full of goodness. Now, goodness is not strictly a Christian trait. We know people who do are characterized by doing good things. And I'll put air quotes around that. But goodness is and should be most prominently found in the lives of Christian people. Goodness here is not just good moral ethic. It's not just Christian behavior. It extends much further than that. Paul is saying that your moral and ethical behavior is full of kindness and thoughtfulness and charity. Paul is focusing more, less on what they're doing good as far as behavior goes and more on how they are treating each other as they are doing it. Your goodness extends to kindness and thoughtfulness and charity. Paul being happy about their goodness uh, is interesting, right? Because just earlier in the letter, we find it in Romans 3, he says, the word of your goodness is going out to the known world. I myself am satisfied by your goodness. And, and it's chronicled in Romans 3 where he says, there's no one good. It's weird. Could be confusing if you stopped reading your Bible at Romans 3. 
But if you seek the whole counsel of God, you know that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old has passed away and the new has come. And therefore, goodness comes to Christians through Christ. And there is a boldness in us that is produced by goodness manifesting. As a matter of fact, we see that those who are in Christ are able to walk in Galatians 5. I believe Blake mentioned those last week. The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. We are able to walk in those. In goodness. Ephesians 2.10 says, When you are in Christ and you are walking with Him, you are doing what you were created to do. The old creation wasn't good, but it's not the old creation that prevails in the lives of believers. It is goodness. It is goodness in the lives of believers, in the lives of a new creation. And therefore, goodness is not just a checkpoint of a good church, but it is proof of how genuine we all are in the faith. If I'm examining our church, I do examine our church, myself and our church often. One of the questions I ask uh, in some way or another is, does this type of goodness characterize our church? A goodness that is not only active in obeying the Lord, but is full of charity and gentleness and kindness and joy, and love. I know that I'm not the best example at this. Oftentimes I feel like, I definitely take everything personally. So if you do something, I, I take it as my fault, regardless. Um, that's a, probably a bad characteristic, but it's just the way it is. I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord to help me with that. But I do take credit because I know that I pick so much, and I try to be funny so much that sometimes... Um, we don't know our limits, you know, and our love for each other is not often characterized by goodness to each other, but by what we would might call as com we might call comedy or humor. I want us to, as I am continually trying to be transformed so that goodness, this type of goodness that Paul is describing is prominent in the life of our church is prominent when we go out of the walls of this room. It's not something that we just put on display while we're here, but it is something that we are known by as we interact with those that we work with. Something that we're known by as we interact with those at various stores, um, in the car, um, right now at any sort of restaurant, because they're so understaffed that it's hard to be good to them. Anywhere that we go. This type of goodness being prominent in the church transforms our conversations and our words about fellow believers. It transforms the way we look at our time. It transforms the way we see church and church related activities. The more I see my responsibility to goodness, the less I see the church as a responsibility, as a hassle, as a scheduling conflict. And the more I see the church as family, co-heirs, in fellowship with love, joy, fun, all of those things. This type of goodness is strictly Christian because it can only come from Christ. It is a goodness that does right in the right way. Paul says, I'm satisfied with what I hear, firstly, because I hear you're doing some good. You're doing a lot of good. He also says this, he says, I'm satisfied with what I hear, because I hear you're full of knowledge. Paul says, you are filled with all knowledge. This is simply 
a practical understanding of the Christian faith that leads to a sanctified life or sanctified living. The only way to act like a Christian, friends, is to think like a Christian. The only way to think like a Christian is to know what Christ thinks. The only way to know what Christ thinks is to devour His very Word. Now we could go around DeSoto County and like the person who was quiet in the classroom and snorting coke in the bathroom, we could think, man, that church has got a lot going for it. Look at all the people. Look at all the people. Look at all the activities. Look at the building. Their pastor is so smart. They seem to love each other. They're like family. We can go around all the churches. There are many strong appearing churches in DeSoto County, but often church goals are skewed. There are churches who want to help others, which is admirable. We want to help others. They want to reach others. But it's often at the cost of the pursuit of knowledge. Because they think, they think that what satisfied them unto salvation will not satisfy others. So we get people in, we help them, we meet their basic needs, and maybe one day they will have a fond, they will have fond affections towards God. There are churches who sacrifice truth for the sake of bringing people in, and all then you've got is a huddle. Of unholy people. It's just making it easier for the enemy to gather them up. Then you've got churches who are sort of your traditional church. And what happens is they over time sacrifice effort. They lose heart. I think if any of the ones we're likely to fall into, it's this one. You get, it's that one. You get comfortable hearing the truth. And getting it preached to you. You get comfortable getting baby birded. As we've had that explained for Drew a couple weeks ago. You get comfortable getting baby birded. And so you stop a personal pursuit. You stop the effort. Paul is saying that the boldness that he hears about this church. Is a boldness that comes because they are pursuing the full knowledge of Christ. Christ was enough to save him, to save them, obviously, but they wanted more of him. They wanted to know all about him. And Paul says, your appetite is being filled. It's a bold journey, friends, to go into the word of God. It takes effort. It takes dedication. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes faith. It takes the willingness to accept hard things that you've not believed or trusted in before. We can hardly say that the average church is complete in knowledge. Complete in fellowship? Yeah. Complete in numbers? Complete in programs? Every church in DeSoto County is complete in some sort of vision. Yes, we can say all of those things. But that's not what Paul said satisfied him. What satisfied him is that they were complete in knowledge. When churches lack the godly pursuit of knowledge, they lose influence. The more they become like the world, the more they stop teaching what eternally matters. So they lose spiritual influences. The more they become lazy in their pursuit, they stop being alive enough to attract the attention of those who might dissent. One theologian pointed out what the lack of pursuit and knowledge produces. And I want to share it with you. The lack of pursuit of knowledge produces self-absorption. Excuse me. It produces biblical illiteracy first. We don't know the Bible. It produces self-absorption. By the end of 
this is going to sting a little bit, and I'm not, again, you know how I feel about this, so I'm not defaming one to prove the other. But by the end of our lifetime, there will be more therapists than physical copies of the Bible. And many Christians are liable to lean into one than the other. It isn't that we don't have real problems that need to be discussed and worked through. It isn't that it's not helpful to talk to somebody else. It's that that and almost everything else is our first choice. And our most prevailing choice. We have biblical illiteracy. We lack spiritual knowledge that answers the questions that we have in life, that brings peace, that brings rest for the soul, that is able to lay the burden down. Self-absorption. People only focus on their issues. Their sense of finding out how to answer those questions is lost. When biblical illiteracy rises, there is a sense of entitlement among those who lack spiritual knowledge. <clears throat> they expect things to come fast or mostly be given to them. Like the Bible will be learned through osmosis or their preacher is going to give them all that they need for truth. Those who lack spiritual knowledge, biblical illiteracy often leads to someone who is sold out to the culture. Or mostly uncritical of the culture. We should love the world outside of us. But we should be hyper critical of it. We should not accept everything. We, as a matter of fact. we are so, People think the, world, the church is critical. We are so uncritical. That we accept things that are ungodly of the world into our churches. Even this church. Every day. Without any critique. Without any second thought. I will tell you. I don't want uh, anyone to throw tomatoes at me. But one of the ways we have done that. Is the role of men and women. In marriage and in the church. We have accepted those beliefs. Because we are biblically illiterate. Paul was recommended that Paul was commending the churches at Rome because of their pursuit of knowledge that led them to being full of knowledge. We should all be theologians. We should all be studiers of God. We should take up the Bible and read. We should take up the Bible and learn, and we should never never put it down. This will lead us to stop making assumptions about things. This will lead us to stop making omissions, sins of omissions, where we don't know what we're doing is wrong, and we're doing it wrong because we don't know. I want to tell you, friends, and I mean this with all my heart, and I know this as a personal testimony. You cannot tell me that you are walking in godliness if you are not walking with Christ through His Word. They are not congruent. The things you are saying are not congruent. You can walk for a time outside of the Word and still be sort of on an upward trajectory to godliness, but that's only just leftover from what you were doing before. You cannot tell me you are walking in godliness and, walk, and not walking regularly in the Word of God. You cannot convince me you are, not walking, you are walking in godliness if you're not walking in Genesis. You can't convince me you are, not walking in God, you are walking in godliness if you're not walking through Leviticus. You can't convince me you are walking in godliness if you're not walking with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. If you are not sitting down at the table with the churches at Rome and the churches at Thessalonica... With Titus. With Timothy. Paul said, I want to commend you and I'm satisfied in the work that you are doing because you are walking in godliness in the Lord by being full of knowledge.
It's silly that Christians will accept and validate and receive every answer, find no solution, and still sit with their Bible closed. It's silly. Accept every answer from everywhere, find no solution, and have their Bible closed and collecting dust. Paul was blessed by their goodness, by their knowledge, and one more thing. They were able to exhort. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. A sure sign of spiritual boldness is the ability to exhort and instruct one another. Now, the Greek words here mean a little bit, it adds a little emphasis that I want to give you. It means to be able to competently and effectively instruct and even correct something that may be wrong. Yes, it is the responsibility of every mature Christian to identify, to point out, and to help other believers move past wrong behavior. But these things are to be done with the two other traits that Paul mentions. Those traits are inseparable. He, those are to be done in a correct way, in an exhortive way, but with kindness, with gentleness, with goodness, seasoned with salt so that it's palatable to the hearer. We correct in knowledge. We use the word of God as our standard and not our opinion. For the church, these conversations have to happen. When we're talking and when we're walking in these things, it becomes more naturally. If you, if you find yourself, the first thing you say to somebody for a long time is to correct them, just be quiet. Don't. Stop. If it was important for you to make sure that the church was walking in truth, you would be walking with the church regularly. So that when you say something, someone's able to hear that. You walk with somebody so that when you correct them, they're like, oh, this is natural. This person's been walking with me for forever. They're just saying something that's a little harder to hear right now, but it's just a part of the walk. You understand what I'm saying? Don't be an outsider and then think you can say something mean to somebody and it'd be okay. Don't, hey, don't be someone that's involved in the church and think you can say something hard but in a mean way and think it's okay. We exhort, we correct, but we do it in goodness. We do it in kindness. We do it with effort. We do it with patience. We do it with gentleness. So we have to create this naturally. We have to walk with people. I want to ask you this question, and you need to answer it in your head. Outside of missional community gathering, how outside of missional community gathering, and if you're in a gospel circle, outside of your gospel circle, how often is your conversation tuned in on spiritual things with the believers in this church? Outside of missional community gathering, outside of gospel circles, what do you talk about? Maybe I should say, who do you talk about with other Christians? What consumes your conversations? Friends, when spiritual talk is prominent, it won't seem so strange when we correct or exhort. It'll just seem like a part of the process. It is, however, strange when the first time we discuss spiritual things outside of the church gathering with someone in a long time is to correct them. But not if the Lord is on our lips regularly with our people. When we walk in boldness, we say the right things at the right time and in the right way. When we walk in boldness, we say the right things at the right time and in the right way. I spent a lot of time on my introduction, so I've got one more point to you that I'm going to give to you quickly. Okay? And that is not only the boldness of the body, but the boldness of the elders. The boldness of the elders. Look at verse 15. But on some points I have written to you very boldly. Yes, you have. By way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. 
so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul was not their elder, but he is an elder in the church in general. And if you look at the way Paul wrote to the churches, it would have made many of us want to find another church. But he wrote to them the necessary things for walking in faith, even if they were hard to hear. He said, I want to remind you of the calling I have in Christ and my priestly service. The calling of the gospel, the calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ compels those who he has called out to teach and lead the church to speak boldly. And it is not your role as a church member to muzzle the leaders of the church. If they are speaking the truth of the gospel, it is your role to support them. It is your role to lift them up. To back them up. To say the hard things alongside them when they are the right things. Paul said, this is my priestly service. You need to know what this means. And and this might be a hard thing for you to hear. He's not talking about priest in the sense of the Jewish priest. He's not talking about priest in the sense of uh, the way Catholic people say it. The way Catholic people picture priest is wrong. It is not biblical. It is not godly. The priest is not an intercessor for the people. Christ is the intercessor for the people. So what Paul was saying is... His priestly service was is to point them to the goodness of the gospel of Christ so that they could find the necessary means of intercession to get to God. It wasn't his goal to intercede for them. It was his goal to usher them to Christ who is the intercessor between God and man. Paul is not the intercessor or the intermediary. Intermediary, He is the messenger that brings the gospel. That is His priestly service. Hey, guess what, friends? We are all called to the priesthood of believers. It is our priestly service then to usher people to the goodness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our priestly service to bring people to the knowledge of the only God who can save, who can make reparations between God and man. Paul's not going to offer atonement. He's not going to offer intercession. But his priestly duty is to offer the cross of Christ and Him crucified with clarity and boldness. So based on what Paul says, I'm going to give you three things and we're going to leave with those today. (laughs) Two minutes left. Here are the three things. Your pastor, your elders who are bold, should be known by gospel centrality. Should be known by gospel centrality. Paul's priestly minister ministry was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ preeminently. To make the gospel of Jesus the first and most important thing. To point out that if intercession and atonement were to be made, it would happen through the work of Jesus alone. So let me ask you. If a pastor is social justice central... Is he gospel center, central? Probably not. If a pastor is politically central, is he gospel central? I would say no. If a pastor is in times central, is he gospel central? If a pastor is, we need some more young people in this church, is he gospel central? The only thing that makes a pastor gospel central is to lead his people, lead his people to the water that never runs out, to the food that can only satisfy, that eternally satisfies. I have more to say about that, but I'm sure this is not going to be the last time I'm going to be able to speak on that, so we'll go on. Your pastor... The boldness that has come from the gospel of Jesus Christ leads your pastor to be known by gospel centrality. He's supposed to be known by his boldness. Paul says, look, I spoke to you boldly. But it was for your good. It was for your good. It's for the good 
of the church. He doesn't apologize for being bold. He doesn't apologize for what he says. The reason he sort of says, I'm sorry for this boldness is because he loves them. And he wants them to know that he loves them. But it's important to know that even though he loves them, he cannot hide what is true from them. So he's sorry they were hurt, but he's not sorry for what he said. You should want the elders of your church to be controversial for the right reasons. If your elders, if you find out that the leaders of your church ever fit in a little bit too much with the cultural climate, you should get rid of all of us. You should want us to be controversial for the right reasons. Now, there is going to be some overlap. There are going to be areas where we can agree on with the culture. But in general, when you preach the gospel of Christ, when I get up here and say things, hopefully in the right reasons most of the time, it should make you cringe a little bit. I wonder how that's going to be taken. Or I wonder how that's going to be heard. Your elders, for the right reasons, should have more people who don't like them or don't like their message outside of the church than do. Their conversation should oppose the culture and not match the culture. Again, the needs, this needs to be coupled with a knowledge of God along with the fruits of the Spirit, along with gentleness and kindness and long-suffering and patience and words that are seasoned with salt. My philosophy to myself, one that I often fail on, is if people are going to think I'm a jerk, they're going to think I'm a jerk because of the gospel and not because of myself. I just saw some of you shake your head on often fail on. Boy, I'm, I'm thankful that the early church wasn't concerned with Paul's optics. The way he appeared. Because we probably wouldn't have Romans... That definitely would have been deleted from Twitter. I'm thankful that the early church wasn't concerned with Paul's optics in the public square. Because we wouldn't have any of the epistles probably. Your pastor, your bold elders should be known for this third thing. And that is shaping the people in godliness. Shaping the people in godliness. He says, but at some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Listen, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul said, what I'm doing is to help you become more like Jesus the boldness that is produced in your pastors and your leaders causes them to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as central. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. And then to do their best to shape little image bearers of Jesus. But guess what? That's also all of our responsibility. We are all called to be ministers to be proclaimers, to be preachers of this good news. So how do we make sure we are spiritually bold? Make an action plan. What is your action plan? If you're hyper introvert, what is your action plan to make sure that you are a proclaimer of the gospel? If you're going to keep to yourself, if you're not going to go pursue friends, if you're not going to talk in a large crowd of people, what is your action plan? What are you planning on doing sit, as you sit down at your house before you get into these situations, before the moment is lost, what are you planning on doing to make sure that the gospel of Christ is on your tongue more than other things? That the gospel of Christ is boldly proclaimed. What are your goals? What are your steps that you've put in place? Listen, if you don't have objective and quantifiable and written goals to being a proclaimer of Jesus, you're doing it wrong. 
We should all go home and sit down sometime in the next few days and make goals for being more of a proclaimer of God in the way Paul has described in Romans 15. What is your action plan? What are your steps to meet these goals? I'm going to make sure this week that I say something specifically to that cashier at X restaurant or place that I see regularly. I'm going to make sure I say something specifically that is spiritually centered. The reason you don't ever accomplish that desire to fulfill uh, this gospel focus, this gospel testimony, is because you don't have a plan or steps or goals to do it. It's half the reason why we don't get a lot accomplished in this world. Because if we, took a, if we took a survey right now of how many of us have goals for the next step in our lives. Just the next two years, the next year, the next month. We would all come with blank pieces of paper. Or mostly come with blank pieces of paper. So we don't get anything accomplished. You know, they've done a study and they've said just thinking about what you want to do is enough to uh, activate the dopamine receptors in your mind so that you're satisfied in doing nothing just because you think you're going to do something later. You think about what you're going to do, you make no plan to do it, and we'll be here ten years from now together doing the same things. You think about what you want to do, you make a plan to do it, you make steps to get you there, and all of a sudden, we are changed. We are all changed. That's Hey, listen, you're getting two for the price of one. That's not only practical advice in general, but that's good advice for walking in the Lord and speaking His truth. And the last thing that you can do practically after you've made those goals, after you've made those steps, you say, Lord, I haven't gotten to this point of salvation on my strength. No one else is going to get there on their strength. I'm just going to, I'm going to proclaim this and I'm going to trust that you're in control of all of it. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Boldness is a good thing. Be bold for the cause of Christ. Without being a jerk. Be kind. Be loving. Be gentle. Be patient. Accept the, expect the same respect. Ex- give the same respect that you expect. Pray with me. We love you, Lord. You're good to us. You've given us so much truth and knowledge. Help us to pursue it and never be satisfied. To always pursue more. Every time we get a nugget that gives us peace, that gives us comfort, to go further. To not kid ourselves into believing that we're walking in the Spirit with our Bible closed. Not kid ourselves to believe we're walking in godliness with our Bible unread. It just doesn't work that way. Help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to walk with You. To consume You more and more every day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.